0: So this morning, uh, as we, as we uh, have, have sung our songs, we've focused on the church. And I considered what kind of message I should preach about the church this week. I could have started with Jesus' promise that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it for Matthew 16. Or we could look at Paul's words in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, as, even as Christ uh, loved the church and gave himself for her. Other passages came to mind as I was thinking about what to preach this week. Passages such as Colossians 1, And Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Another wonderful verse of Scripture. Or I thought about something uh, from 1 Timothy 3 that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There are dozens of passages, actually, uh, that I could have chosen. But I was thinking this week about the song that we just sang, that, that Greg and Paulette and I just sang, O Church, Arise. This song that sings about rising up. Um, and I thought as I was thinking about that song and thinking about the church and what is the church. You know the church is not a building. And the church is not a club. The church is a body of believers. Believers who are committed followers of Jesus Christ and who have joined to one another by a covenant. This song, O Church, Arise, that we sang points us to two different figures and next week we're going to sing it together. Okay, So we sang it this week so you could hear it and the next week we're going to sing that together. But it focuses on two different figures which describe the life of a Christian, a soldier going to war. And the first verses talk about rising up and putting your armor on and going out to fight and war against the captor who has captured the souls of men. And the last verse of the song talks about the Christian life or the Christian as a runner in a race. And then when I was thinking about that song, I immediately thought of this passage of Scripture that I want to look at this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so you can turn there uh, in your Bible if you like. Sorry, that's not the right reference on the screen. That's a reference I already read to you. So if you tor- return there, that's not the right place. Okay. I know. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Thinking about the Christian life as, as a race. And the Christian as a runner who is preparing to run a race. And that's what the author of Hebrews kind of directs our attention to. As we study this passage for the next few minutes, you're going to see that the scripture uses this image of a runner to teach us about the Christian life. The scriptures also use that image of a soldier going to battle. Um, but I had kind of already referenced that somewhat last week with Ephesians chapter 6. And, and uh, I just felt like we'd focus on this image of a runner this week. But uh, the runner about to preparing to run a race. And what is the challenge that Scripture gives us using this image of a runner and comparing that to our Christian life? The challenge is this, to focus our attention on the greatest example of faith and obedience, Jesus Christ. This is the challenge we have this morning, and this is a very simple message, very simple challenge from this passage, to focus our attention on the greatest example of faith and obedience, Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And uh, let's see, maybe I can get... Um, let's see, maybe I can get Callie, or not Callie, I'm sorry, Chloe... Would you mind reading the first verse and then, then maybe Nikita can read the second one? We also, since we are, by slowly, testings, let us play a and, day, and, so we in and snares. Nikita? Looking under Jesus Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who's born to join that one set before and buried the cross, describing the shame and and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews twelve, one through two. From the very first word of these verses, verse one there, we're directed to consider the previous chapter of Hebrews, the word is therefore, directs our attention back to what has just preceded. And we, uh, we don't have time to look at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Okay. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we find nearly two dozen examples of men and women who obeyed God by faith, trusting His word even though they never saw the realization of their hope in the Lord. I want you to think about that just for a moment. There are in Hebrews chapter 11, almost two dozen examples of men and women who believed what God said, even though they never saw it come to pass in their life. That doesn't mean that they believed it for a week and when it didn't happen, they decided to give up. They believed it. They trusted God's Word and their entire lives were spent and they never saw. They never saw the completion of it. They never saw the fulfillment of it. They never saw God do what He had promised to do. They lived And they died. And that promise that they trusted and believed in went unfulfilled. Right off the bat here in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, we are told to consider those who have gone before us. Their very lives testify to the goodness of God and the truth of His Word. The picture we have here And we can imagine here is them lining the course as we run. On both sides stand men and women who have run the race and who finished strong, who offer us the assurance that we can complete the course and that it is worth the effort and hardship we must face to do so. (laughs) Uh, there's really one word that, at, that best describes what the author of Hebrews is trying to direct us to here. It's this word right here. Whoops. Example. Example. That's what they are. They are a witness, a testimony, an example to us. So with that in mind, we begin this morning In a way, it's a very sobering reminder because it tells us that this life that we live as Christians, it may be a life committed to believing God's word while never actually seeing the result of what God has promised come to pass. That's the example that we're looking at here, right? That's the examples he points us back to. People who believed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, trusting, believing, hoping, never seen. I read an illustration an interesting kind of illustration about this. Warren Weersby talks about a conversation that he had with the believer. The man said to him, I, I rarely ever read the Old Testament other than psalms and proverbs. And so Dr. Wiersbe said to him, asked him if he would read a verse of scripture and directed him to Romans. 15 and verse 4. Michael, would you read this verse for us, please? Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Do you imagine? Man says, I don't ever read the Old Testament. Just read Proverbs and Psalms. I just skip over the rest of it. And then you read this verse. Whatever things were written before. What do you think Paul's talking about when he says whatever things were written before? The Old Testament. The whole thing. They were written for our learning. Why? That through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. We look at the example of these people. And what do we see? Well, according to Romans 15, we learn patience and we receive comfort. And so Dr. Weersby says this about that exchange. One of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. If you're having problems with your family. Read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled this problem. This really isn't one of the major points of the passage. But it does explain to us, right at the outset of Hebrews 12.1, what our motivation is to follow the instructions that we find here. What, how, how should we be motivated here? There are many who have come before us. In Hebrews 11, as I said, gives almost two dozen examples. There are many who have come before us and have successfully finished the race. We ought to be strengthened by their example. We ought to be encouraged to keep on keeping on. Of course, this assumes that you and I are looking at their example in Scripture. The first thing we need to realize is just how important the Bible is in our everyday lives. We need to be committed to to receiving a steady diet of God's Word, both the Old and New Testaments. There's just no substitute for it. And so before we even can get to the, the instructions here in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we have to understand this that the Scriptures are vital. We have to be feeding on and receiving the Word of God continually. We can't really hope to even see the course of the race that we're supposed to run if we're not meditating on Scripture daily. These examples are all around us. Lining the way. Abel. Enoch. Noah. Noah. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel and David, all marking out the way of faith and obedience for us to follow. One question for you this morning. When was the last time you considered their testimony? When was the last time you read their testimony? witness how they found God's word to be true and God to be faithful even though they lived their entire lives and never saw the fulfillment of God's promise as we look at the examples of all of these men and women who have gone before us they clearly mark out the way for us to follow With that in mind, I'd like to turn our attention now to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And, and, and look at the way in which we ought to run the race. The author of Hebrews tells us to do two things here, really. To prepare properly and to run well. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first principle, and boys and girls, this is in your notes here. first principle is this, put off anything that will distract you or slow you down. Put off anything that will distract you or slow you down. There's two categories of things included in this instruction, and, and here's what, here's how the uh, <clears throat> uh, the author of Hebrews says it, verse one: Let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. <laughs> um, most of us, and I, and I, listen, I'm putting myself right up here, so please don't be offended when I say this. Most of us um, have at least a little extra weight that we could stand to lose. And some of us have more than a little, okay? So um, I'll just just put that right out there, okay? If we were training for a race, losing that weight would probably be near the top of our to-do list, okay? You ever watch the Olympics? Most of the runners in the Olympics don't look like me, okay? (laughs) They just don't, Right? They just don't. And if I was going to prepare to run in a race and actually think I would have a chance of winning, that would probably be very near the top of my to-do list. Before I can run the race, I've got to lay aside the weight. Now I know you may seem, well, come on, that can't—that's not what he means here, right? He's not. This is not a, you know, God's weight loss program here, Hebrews twelve one. Well, that's true. Okay, he's not talking here about body weight, okay? But that is the picture that's used here. It's the idea of not carrying around a weight, you know, because nobody does that. We don't walk around. I mean, you might at the gym, but we don't walk around town like, hey, i got my dumbbells in my hand. I'm going to walk around town. No, okay, we set them down. But we carry weight with us. And that's the picture that's used here. That's what the the author here is talking about. A runner who in training prior to the race is going to shed any excess pounds that he has. He's going to lose everything he can to be in shape. Not carrying around anything extra because a runner who wants to win a race can't afford to carry around any extra weight. And a Christian can't afford to allow any distraction or hindrance, things which may be all right in themselves, but which may prevent him from completing his course with joy. The first principle here, boys and girls, is this. Lay aside the extra weight. We've got to lay aside the extra weight. And again, I'm not talking about a... a a church weight loss program here, okay? But as I was thinking about this this week, I know I've mentioned this before, but I I thought about how much I love the game of football. It's a sport that I've enjoyed ever since I was a kid. I've played it. I've played it for a number of years. In fact, right now, I'm in training. Well, training might be a little bit of a stretch for what I'm doing. But I am preparing. I am looking ahead to an alumni scrimmage at Maranatha this fall and I'm going to play in. And as much as I love playing and watching football, I realize and I have noticed that football uh, has a potential to have a negative influence on me. And uh, so what I've done, I I have had to choose to lay aside the weight, if you will, in a specific way. During football season, on Saturday night when there's a game on, I've I've told my wife, and for the most part, this this works okay. I've told my wife, the game is on and I'm watching the game. At 9 o'clock, it gets shut off. And I'm telling you because I know that I'm watching the game and if the badges are on, I might be, yeah, okay, 9.30, 9.45, you know. Nine o'clock, the game goes off. has to. And why? Why do I have to do that? Because if I don't do that, then what it does is it affects my preparation for ministry on Sunday. And it makes it harder for me, almost impossible for me, to come here on Sunday in the right mindset to be able to focus on the ministry that I have here. Now that may seem somewhat, of, somewhat strange to you because football doesn't make a difference to you or whatever, I don't know. Okay? But I just know for me, if I stay up till 11 o'clock on Saturday night watching a football game that I'm into, I had a really hard time Sunday morning getting my mind focused on and thinking about the Word of God and the truth of God that I am supposed to be teaching and preaching on Sunday morning. And so I have realized as much as I enjoy it and then there's nothing wrong with watching a football game, I have realized that in that area I have to discipline myself. I have to, to lay aside that extra weight. That's what that becomes to me. It becomes extra weight. Is it bad? No, it's not bad. But if I'm not careful, it can be a hindrance. It can slow me down. It can keep me from doing what I should be doing, even though the thing in and of itself is not bad. And I have to exercise discipline in that area. So I realize when we talk about laying aside the extra weight, okay, I'm not talking about a weight loss plan. And we're not talking about things that are sinful. We're talking about things that may not be bad at all. Okay. But those same things may be a distraction. They may be a hindrance. They may be something that keeps us from really doing what God wants us to do and really being able to serve Him the way He wants us to serve. And the author of Hebrews says, here we've got to lay those things aside. We've got to put those things away. It's extra weight. The runner won't take it on the race because he'll lose. And Christian, you can't carry it around with you because it will distract you and hinder you from doing what you need to do. Of course, he goes on, he doesn't just talk about extra weight. That's good. He talks about sin. The second principle here is that we need to lay aside entangling sins. Lay aside entangling sins. We have to always be wary of the presence of sin. That sin very easily trips us up. That's the, the word picture that we get here uh, in Hebrews 12, he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He's not talking about a a trap that's set on the road that we step into and all of a sudden we're stuck. He's actually talking about um, a runner trying to run a race wearing a long flowing robe. Just imagine that, you know. You're going to run a race So you go and you get this long, heavy robe and you wrap it around yourself and you tie it at your waist and you're going to go run the race. And you're going to get a few steps into that race and what's going to happen? The robe is going to start to entangle itself around your legs. And you're going to fall. That's the picture here. It's sin that that wraps itself around us and trips us, causing us to fall. It's not just a distraction here. It's not just carrying on extra weight, which slows us down. It's something that will actually trip us and cause us to fall. That's sin. More serious than a distraction, but in both cases, we're to lay them aside. What is the sin? Some people have suggested, you know, because he says here uh, that we are to lay aside the sin, which so easily besets. And some people have suggested that the author of Hebrews has a specific sin in mind here. Well, maybe. If so, it's probably unbelief. I mean the whole chapter of chapter eleven is talking about faith and believing and trusting in God, and so that sin of unbelief would be that. But I, I think really any sin, any sin that we commit has the possible has the possibility of so entangling us that we can't see a way to get free of it. Wrapping itself around us, preventing us from running the race. Sin is, is deceptive in that way. You know, I've seen different illustrations of sin and its effects over the years. Um, just saw a really interesting one this week, but I didn't have time to get it together and show it to you. Um, but I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school, and I remember someone, you know, doing the illustration, taking a piece of thread Just taking a spool of thread, having a child come up to the front and binding their their hands together with a piece of thread. And even a small child can just break the thread free. It's no big deal. And then they do it again, but this time they bind it with two or three times around. And a little bit harder, they can still break through. The next time they bind it and they begin to wrap it around over and over. And that little thin piece of thread that's so insignificant and small once you begin to wrap it around and around and around and around, it becomes impossible to break. That's kind of the way that sin is here, and that's the, the 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 depiction here. It just ensnares, it entangles us, it wraps us up, and we can't get free. Are there any are there any sins in your life that you just can't seem to overcome? Just things that just Tangle around you that just continually seem to trip you up. The author of Hebrews says we need to lay those aside. Are there is there extra weight you've been carrying around? Something that might be distracting you or hindering you from completely obeying the Lord. Again, the author of Hebrews says you've got to lay those things aside. We need to confess our sin to the Savior. And we need to exercise biblical wisdom to discern which things are not helpful to us which things are extra weight this is all part of the preparation to run the race but what kind of race is it i mean if we're going to prepare to run the race okay we're going to lose the weight we're going to we're going to lay aside anything that would trip us up the sin and the distractions and the other things okay I'm going to lay those things aside. I'm going to get rid of extra things. I'm going to get rid of things in my life that might distract me from serving Christ. And I'm going to get rid of and confess sin. And and yes, yes, I'm going to do all those things to prepare for the race. But but what kind of race is it? And how do we run this race well? Leon Morris gives us a helpful thought here. He says the author is not thinking of a short, sharp sprint but of a distance race that requires endurance and persistence. Everyone has, from time to time, a mild inclination to do good. The author is not talking about this, but about the kind of sustained effort required of a long-distance runner who keeps on with great determination over the long course. That is what the heroes of the faith did in their day, and it is that to which we are called. What kind of race is it? It's a, it's a distance race. We need to be prepared to run this race. But we need to know what this race is. It's a long distance race, it's not a sprint. And so, the second principle, the second instruction we have here is that we are to run with patience and focus to win the race. We're to run with patience and focus. To win the race. Boys and girls make sure you get that one down too. Patience. Endurance is the word here. Is a vital component to following Christ. There are always times of struggle and pain. There are times of discouragement. Times when we seem to make no progress at all. But a runner who's going to win the race has to be able to endure those times and keep on running, persist in determination to finish the race, regardless of what the circumstances are. And so the first thing, the first principle underneath this that we, hear, that we have is determined to finish the race. I think that's what he's saying here. He says at the end of verse one: "Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." He doesn't say, "Let's start the race with passion." Let's start the race with everything we've got. Let's run the first mile really well. Let's run the race the whole thing with what With speed. No, with endurance. See, that's what it takes to get from the start to the finish of the race endurance. We have to determine to finish the race. There's one passage of scripture that it really illustrates this point very well. And I was thinking about this this week and I, I it didn't initially come to mind, but as I read this, these verses, there's something that really jumped out at me. You can turn there. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. This morning I want to look at this passage real quickly because there's something that Jesus says here I found to be really interesting. It's, the, it's a parable that Jesus teaches. You're probably familiar with it. It's the, the parable of the, the soils where he talks about a sower that goes out and sows seed and four different types of soil that the seed lands on. Right? The first soil was hard packed and the seed couldn't penetrate. And so the birds came and took it away. But then there were three other kinds of soils. And in all three instances, those soils received the seed and they provided a good place for the seed to sprout. Right? Jesus describes those soils... There's the, the stony soil. There's the thorny soil. And then there's the good soil. I want you to listen to how Jesus um, explains the parable. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. He says, The ones on the rock, that's the stony soil, are, are, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away notice that they they start out really good and they go along for a while but then temptation comes and they fall away look at verse 14 the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity again oh they receive the seed and it grows but it never really makes it all the way to maturity. part partway. It, it springs up, but then it gets choked out by the weeds. But then listen to the description of this third, of the last, the fourth and final soil, verse 15. The ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with what? Patience. What is it that distinguishes in this parable, the good soil from the other two soils that appear to be very similar, at least on the surface? What's the one thing that distinguishes that? Patience. Patience. Endurance. That's the one thing that makes the difference. Patience differentiates the good soil from the other two types of soil here. It's easy to start a race. It's easy to start a race. It takes endurance, determination to finish the race. The author of Hebrews is telling us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1 that we are to run the race with determination to finish the race. It's never enough to start. Never enough to start along the course of the race. We have to determine to finish the race. And see, here's the thing: as I read through this, the three things we've already touched on—laying aside the extra weight, uh, laying aside and entangling sins, determining to finish the race—these things we can't do. We can't do these things. I mean, we can try to do these things, but I guarantee we're going to fail at these things. If not for the last one. The last one really is the key. This is the answer to the whole thing. This is the most important of all of them. Focus on the one who finished the race. Focus on the one who finished the race. The author of Hebrews says that we'll run the race with patience. But then look what he says, beginning there in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I found it interesting this week, this word looking here. It means to take our eyes off of other things and fix them on something. to to pry our attention and our focus off of something else and fix it on Jesus Christ. Whatever else we're looking at, whatever else we're tempted to look at, we're to take our eyes off of that and we are to look and focus our attention completely on Jesus Christ, the one who finished The race. He should be the focal point of every decision that we make, the filter through which we discern between what is good and what is best. He's both the author and finisher here. That means he's the one who blazed the trail for us to follow. But it also means he's the one who successfully completed the entire course. We don't have time to look in detail at all of this. I wish we did. How it describes what he did for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. One author said that Jesus looked through the cross. I like that. I like that expression. Jesus looked through the cross. And what did he see on the other side? He saw joy. Joy of what? The joy of being able to offer salvation to us, to lost sinners. He, he looked at the cross, but He didn't just see the cross. He saw the other side. Okay, There was joy. There's exultation and glory. Because notice what else it says about Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That was what was on the other side of the cross for Jesus. Exaltation. Supreme authority. And so he endured the cross. And his example is the best example we can look at. It's the perfect example. He ought to be our attention and our focus because he is the perfect example of faith and obedience. He's the perfect example of someone who laid aside the weight and laid aside the sin and focused with determination to run the race and reach the goal. And he did it. And he completed it perfectly. And so he is the one to whom we look. All other examples, including all the examples in in Hebrews 11, All of those examples are only good examples to us insofar as they point us to Christ. I I think of John the Baptist. In John chapter 1 and chapter 3, he said, I am not the Christ, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Oh, the example of John the Baptist is a good example to follow. Why? Because he pointed us right to Christ. And he said, listen, it's not about me, it's about Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wonderful example to us, right? Why? Why was the Apostle Paul a great example? Because he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's why his example is worthy. Because he was following Christ. Moses, right? Even Moses pointed to Christ. Deuteronomy, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Moses pointed to Christ. All of these examples of faith and obedience are good examples only so far as they point us to Christ. Christ ought to be our focus. How is it that we can lay aside the weight? How can we lay aside the sin? How can we run with patience, endurance, only by looking to Christ? Only by focusing everything, our entire attention on Him. It's a radio personality that likes to say, focus like a laser beam. Let's do that. Let's focus like a laser beam on Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the center, he's the edge, he's everything. It's right there focused on him. He's the one we watch, he's the one we look to, we keep our eyes focused on him. And if we do, we can see the way to obedience and faith. We can run the race with patience until the end. We can endure. And so what are you struggling with today? Maybe you see the race and you just feel overwhelmed. You see the course that's been set before you and you just don't think there's any way you can run that race. It's just too much. Maybe you feel ill-prepared to run. Maybe you feel like you could start the race, but you just don't have just don't have the patience to endure to the end. Maybe you just are unsure about the route. You don't know how to run the race, where to go. There's one answer to all of these issues. There's one solution and that is turn to Christ completely. We focus our eyes on Him. We realize that we can't get by without Him. As I was thinking about this this week, how do I describe this really adequately? All I can think of is a radical helplessness. Realizing that it's impossible for us to do this. We can't do it. We recognize that we are helpless without Him. And so we turn our attention, our our focus to Him, We cry out for help. We cast ourselves at His feet. All of these different images here that are used. Whether you need to be forgiven of sin or restored to a right relationship with God. Maybe you need strength to overcome hardship or wisdom to choose the right path. Whatever it is, right now is the time for you to trust Christ to meet that need. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And as I pray, will you ask the Lord to answer the cry of your heart? Focus on Him. He is the answer. He's the one who's the example that we are to follow. Let's pray.